Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today we will be bringing out some of our favorite conversations from the spring of 2021. We begin by speaking with Dr. Bill Sullivan of the International Association of Catholic Bioethics, who tells us what to consider when receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. And then we meet singer-songwriter and married couple Nick and Nikki Garza. In our second half hour, Emily Jaminette tells us the 12 secrets of the Sacred Heart. And at the end of the program, we reconnect with singer-songwriter Luke Spihar. Remember that you can listen to all our programs at slmedia.org podcast. You can reach me by email, pedro at slmedia.org, and also through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just look for Deacon Pedro. We begin now with The Ethics of a Vaccine. During an interview in January, Pope Francis stated that ethically, everyone should take the vaccine. And of course, he's speaking about the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, the Pope was speaking specifically about the ethics of making the vaccine equally available to everyone who wants it, but also... He's trying to address a certain hesitancy that many people have to these particular vaccines. And in particular, there is a question of the morality of taking a vaccine that has been developed from the cell lines of aborted fetuses. And much has been said about this, and still there is much confusion. So in order to understand whether taking any of the COVID-19 vaccines that are currently available, whether that's morally or ethically acceptable, we are now joined by Dr. Bill Sullivan. He's a family physician and in teaching practice at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto. And he also offers clinical consultations to other family physicians regarding the care of adults with developmental disabilities. He's a busy guy. Dr. Bill, welcome to the Salt and Light Hours. Good to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. So before we start, I keep I keep saying ethically and morally, and I'm wondering now if there's a difference between those two. Is it is there a distinction between saying that something is ethical or something is moral? Can we use those words interchangeably? I think it's fair to use them interchangeably. Okay. I normally use the term ethically. It uh, it's, comes from a, a whole body of work, which is part of philosophy, um, trying to discern you know, what's good, uh, from what's not so good, uh, and applied that to healthcare decisions. Okay, so then we're, we're trying to figure out whether it's ethical to take this particular vaccine. Um, in the past, Bill, in this program, when, when we're speaking particularly about end-of-life issues and whether certain treatments are considered ordinary or extraordinary, or maybe we can say whether they're proportionate or disproportionate, and I think our listeners might remember those conversations, um, could that same question be applied to this issue with the vaccines, whether it's proportionate or disproportionate or ordinary or extraordinary? Yeah, I think that what that, that terminology refers to is um, a history, a, a very uh, long history of ways of thinking about uh, issues in, in healthcare in particular mm -hmm. uh, and trying to decide whether um, some intervention that might be life-saving, so usually a therapy mm -hmm. that might be life-saving, um, uh, whether the person uh, should regard that as something that they're kind of obliged to do out mm -hmm. of gratitude for the gift of their life, 
or whether it's optional, that it's, it is not necessary in my circumstances. Okay. And it's, so it's not so much to say that there is this category that everybody should know that these things you have to do, okay. but it's more of an approach. Okay. And actually where that first came up was, um, you know, uh, in the early days of medicine doing battlefield mm -hmm. triage, where some people uh, had would have, a, say, a severe wound to their leg, and it was evident that the person would die without an amputation. Mm -hmm. Now, back then, that intervention was pretty horrific. Right. And the question that the moralists or ethicists posed was, uh, are people obliged to undergo that? And back then, they concluded, no. You're not obliged. That's too much. And mm -hmm. that's where this distinction came up. Now, it doesn't mean that you, uh, you might decide to have it anyway, which mm -hmm. is fine, but you shouldn't feel that out of the duty for respect of the gift of life, you have to go through that. Right. So, in, so, so, so the idea of it being applied to this concept of taking or not taking a vaccine can be, can be similar. So whether we're obliged or not obliged. It, it's uh, the categories can be uh, again. It's there is a question is yeah, yeah. how helpful that is yeah, because here we're talking about something that's uh, not a therapy. Mm -hmm. It's a preventive mm -hmm. measure, so it's a little different. And the other thing is we're talking not about just an individual. You know, should I do this to save my life? But there is a kind of a public dimension to the question. Right. Uh, should I do this? not only to protect my own health, but also to protect other people that if I exactly. don't have this protection, I'm more likely to put at risk. So that, that wasn't part of the initial no, no. example, but it may be that what is helpful about um, thinking about that way of uh, discerning mm -hmm. uh, options in healthcare, um, it's more of a pattern of, of the elements that you need to think about. So part of it has to do with the goal. So mm -hmm. here it was, you know, uh, the good of life and trying to mm -hmm. protect and promote that. Uh, another goal would be protect other people. And then you have um, the circumstances of this bad virus that's going around and infecting right. lots of people. Um, and then you have different things you can do, means to help protect yourself uh, and promote those goals. And so the question here is about whether this particular means, and this is vaccine is one method of, of protecting your health. Yeah. It's a very effective one. It's mm -hmm. not the only one. Mm -hmm. um, the question is whether or not for the most part, you can say that, yeah, that's a good thing to do, not only for yourself, but for others, which is essentially what the Pope said. Right, right. And, and the issue of common good has also been brought up. And I think that that's what you're talking about. So how do we, it, it, I suppose that the church would define common good differently than the state, but how do we determine what is good for, for, for everyone? What's the common good? Yeah, that's a very good question. And in fact, um, I think that the Catholic tradition is distinct from the typical way that uh, this is thought about in uh, much of public health that is coming to light during the pandemic. So the common good um, that is sort of assumed in public health is mm -hmm. kind of the, the greatest good for the greatest number, that kind of idea. Mm -hmm. um, 
for for the Catholic understanding, I think a nice analogy would be a family. Okay. So in that family, people have different um, needs and capacities, and the family is there to help promote everyone's well-being, mm-hmm. supporting those with greater needs a bit more, and uh, that would be done by people uh, others in the family that have that capacity. And so, in a sense, it's an idea, not a calculus but an attitude that we all, we're all in this together. We all help one another. That's Mm -hmm. an idea of the common good. And Mm -hmm. so in the case of the vaccine, the idea would be there is uh, to protect myself from getting infected uh, is good for me, but it's also good for others that, that I could infect. And, and essentially the, the big goal uh, around the world is to get enough people protected mm-hmm. that the, vi- the virus can't c- continue to spread. And that's called herd immunity. Yes. And so, so it's, it's a question of, you know, uh, seeing yourself as a player in that broad goal. Right. And I think that, that for most, I don't know if I can generalize, but for most people that they understand vaccines in general, but there's this question about the whole, you know, how are these vaccines developed? So can we address, can you address the, the, that concern about vaccines that are developed from cell lines from aborted fetuses? Exactly. And I, I appreciate that that is a, uh, a big concern and want to just acknowledge that uh, people have many questions and concerns about COVID-19 mm-hmm. vaccines. And it is good for people to be informed and to discern what is the right thing to do. Um, What I would ask, uh, start with, is just uh, kind of using my medical hat, is the the importance of understanding uh, some of the science behind available vaccines. So if people look at a photo of the virus that causes COVID-19, it's called the SARS-CoV-2 virus, you you see all these spikes on the virus, Right. right? That's a common image. So these spikes are proteins that enable the virus to enter a cell in order to replicate itself. All COVID-19 vaccines help your body's immune system to learn how to identify and destroy these spike proteins. And that's to limit the virus from replicating itself and making you very sick. Mm -hmm. Now, some vaccines carry genetic material in the vaccine and it's called messenger RNA. vaccines such as Pfizer and Moderna. And others uh, use a harmless virus. It's called, and this would be the example of AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson. Mm-hmm. But all vaccines um, in both categories um, are tested or made using cell lines that have been genetically changed so that they replicate indefinitely. And one such cell line has a technical name, it's called HEK293. And it, this was derived many years ago from an, an aborted fetus. And this is where the controversy arises. Right. Now, just to be clear, uh, there are no fetal parts in the vaccine. No. Um, and that uh, the, the uh, aborted fetus was not aborted for the purpose uh, of being used in experiments and to develop vaccines. Mm -hmm. And there's no ongoing practice 
of using tissues from aborted fetuses to, to supply the HEK293 cell line. And thus, uh, it's not an inducement using current mm -hmm. vaccines. There's no inducement to uh, abortions. Right. So that's just to kind of get um, clear on some of the science. And I, I guess in the webinar, there was a much more extended discussion of this. And, uh, and I think uh, we've summarized that discussion. I, I think that people, uh, you know, that are concerned about, uh, rightly concerned about uh, respect for um, uh, what we might call embryonic humans, mm -hmm. uh, as we would be um, also, I think, abhorred if, say, in, in Canada, we have a, a new practice of, of uh, basically euthanasia mm -hmm. and the prospect of uh, after somebody uh, dies by euthanasia, uh, body parts yes. can be used, organ transplant. And I think that that is morally objectionable. You know, there's a very direct connection right. between uh, something that is uh, objectionable uh, and benefiting myself. Yes. Um, I think what the the people that have looked at this more carefully, and I'm not an expert in this area, by the way, right. uh, but they are, they're saying that's not the case here. Right. But you are a medical doctor and you've been able to explain medically. And I think that that helps a lot of people that, that I mean, the, 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 it's, it's, it's very remote material cooperation to an yes. act that happened. And when you said many years ago, I mean, it's really like 50 years ago or more. Yes. Um, yeah. So, and, I, and the other thing is, I mean, technically it is actually, um, you know, it's, it's a stem cell line and it, it's these um, sort of very um, premature types of cells mm -hmm. that don't die. They just keep replicating. Mm -hmm. And now we don't have to do that anymore. You know, it's unfortunate that that happened. And in fact, the vaccine company saying, well, now that we know that we're not going to do, you know, do that anymore. Exactly. That's good to know. Right. Yes. But it's also good to know that this is not the only thing that is would have this connection there's many cosmetics and other things absolutely where yes. there's also this sort of thing and so if we're really concerned about that then we have to actually do a lot of homework right wow um we could spend probably another half an hour talking about this and, and it's a fascinating <laughs> conversation and maybe in the future we can bring you back because this has been very use, uh, useful um I'm glad you mentioned the webinar. So I'll direct people to the right website in case they wanted to find out more. This is this hour long or longer webinar that that uh, you were part of with the uh, International Association of uh, Catholic Bioethics. Um, and, and the summary, which is much briefer. And the summary, so you don't yes. want to watch the whole webinar. Exactly. Uh, the, the summary is very succinct. Yes. Um, Dr. Bill Sullivan, thank you so much. Uh, uh, sorry, we didn't have a ton of time, but I think this has been useful at least to get people thinking and thinking in the right way about this. Uh, thank you for helping us today with this well, question. God bless your good work. Dr. Bill Sullivan, he's the clinical lead of the De Developmental Disabilities Primary Care Program of Surrey Place in Toronto. He is also the founding director and now the chair of the International Association of Catholic Bioethics, which is an organization that is engaged in developing consensus guidance on ethics and pandemics. You can find out more about their work and about this particular question and that webinar at iacb.ca. Look under discussions, but I'm going to put that link on our site, slmedia.org, so you can find it easily. Um, if you missed any part of this conversation or to listen to it again, visit us at our website, slmedia.org slash podcast. 
And here now are our featured artists of the week, Nick and Nikki Garza, with their single, Be With Me. I give my life to you I give my heart to you I give my soul to you I give my life to you Lord, I love you so All I need is you Lord, please be with me tonight I give my life to you I give my heart to you I give my soul I give my life to you, Lord, I love you so, all I need is you, Lord, please be with me That was Nick and Nikki Garza with their single, Be With Me. Nick and Nikki Garza are a husband and wife music ministry duo who do music together, but have been doing music separately since they were both children. Nick grew up in Arizona and served at the same parish as Tom Booth and Matt Marr. Nikki is from St. Louis, Missouri. Nick and Nikki married in 2007, and they are the parents of five children, and they continue making music together. And so I'm very happy to welcome Nick and Nikki Garza to the program. Guys, it's good to meet you. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Hi. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. <laughs> so, so I mean, I know that you both growing up were, were involved in music in church, but um, was that sort of, you know, you both come from Catholic families, large families, musical families? What do you think? Yes, Nikki? Um, yes from Catholic family. Um, I have two sisters and um, I've just always have been a part of um, the choirs. Yeah. And from my, when I was very small, um, I was like the, the young kid in the adult choir at oh, church. Yeah. Um, and then in youth groups, um, part of them and singing in youth groups. And then I moved to Arizona and met Nick in um, the parish we were at um, so, up in Cave Creek. It was um, St. Gabriel's and he so was you, in the you, Okay. So you, you met doing music ministry in the, in yes. the parish. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I love telling people that. Yep. I met her in the choir. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that's good. And you, and you, Nick, was it, were you like in a musical family or, or are you the outlier? <laughs> No, I was, nobody in my house was musical. I remember sitting oh, yeah. in my room and, and hearing the big, loud beats of rap music that my older brothers listened to <laughs> while I was in my room listening to like, uh, you know, Disney songs and, and movie scores. And, and then as I got a little bit older, my parents made me play piano. I didn't want to, Okay. but then thank the Lord they did because now it's what I do all the time. Um, and yeah. then as I was a kid, uh, the church involved with the youth ministry and whatnot, um, that's when I started really getting involved um, 
musically in mass. And I started, they started having me play keyboard and then play percussion. And I started dabbling in drums and bass and wherever, wherever they wanted to. And then I just got, I just kind of got sucked in from there. Um, <laughs> I, I was a big fan of, you know, Tom Booth, Tim Smith, Matt Marr, uh, right. Rich Mullins, Rich Mullins yeah. back then. And, um, and yeah, I just kind of kept playing for mass and then retreats and then conferences and yeah. Yeah. And, and, and here you are. Um, were you both writing songs growing up or is that something that happened later? Um, I, I was writing songs, but I was writing more like secular yeah, music. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't, we didn't really start concerning into, uh, uh, Christian, uh, music until, um, probably three years ago when we first got married, we were all excited. We we're like, man, we should do a Christian album. Yeah. And yeah do we've it always together. wanted to. Yeah. yeah. But we just, we did, we didn't understand how much went into it, you know, and, and the cost of it and how to get it going. And, and then, you know, well, Nikki you was, having kids. Yeah. Yeah. She was, she was pregnant <laughs> all the time. And so we just never, we never had time until, until, you know, the, the pandemic to, to be honest, the pandemic okay. helped calm things down for us. And we're like, there was nothing else to do. We're like, Hey, you know what we should do right now? Okay. Start working on our, I've, on our, our, our stuff for mass that we want to do. Okay. So. so, so the songs, like the three songs that or the songs that we've been hearing, you wrote them last year during the pandemic correct yes. Okay. yes you wrote them and recorded them wow see i've heard that from other other uh songwriters too that that last year even though it was difficult it was a blessing in that sense because there was that opportunity mm-hmm. to yeah to sort of have that that retreat so how does a how does a songwriting work now that you're married who 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 does most of the writing and who does most of the critiquing <laughs> um, probably nick yeah he usually starts a lot of things and then i yeah come and help and yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll call her in. I'll be like, hey, what do you think of this? Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Or, you know, actually, uh, one of our first songs we wrote, too, like our daughter was in the room with us. And oh, we yeah. kind of asked her. She's 13. Yeah. And um, uh-huh. she goes to uh, she goes to St. Timothy's Catholic School. And um, and she we were bouncing all ideas off her because, you know, that innocence of a child. It, it was really neat. She's like, yeah, that makes sense. And okay. we're telling <laughs> the lyrics and stuff like that. So yeah, that was really neat. But yeah, usually, though, I, I, I try to. Um, uh, work on it we'll find scripture it started yeah. with when i took the music director job at saint benedict um okay. a few few years ago and we started writing psalms for mm-hmm. the weekend mm-hmm. um because we didn't like um <laughs> there wasn't a lot of choices you know? i know i know <laughs> yes and so we started with that and then we started thinking man we need a better gathering song for this weekend or we need a better community uh-huh. song for this meeting that fits better with the readings or other than this song you know so that really got us going and then like i said the pandemic happened and we, we started concentrating on that and then we were fortunate enough to hear from Worship Now Publishing. Yes. They wanted to start publishing us. And we're like, wow, cool. Exciting. So we should, yeah, we, should, wonderful. we should keep on this, you know? So I'm glad you mentioned your your daughter. So she's the oldest and she's now singing in the choir with you guys as well. What what do the rest of the kids, like, what do they think about mom and dad doing their music ministry? <laughs> they think it's really fun. They yeah. think it's fun. Yeah. And, and they're all musical in their own they, way. Yeah. And they, um, um, Jude, they, they all like almost all the instruments really but jude yeah. really likes the drums and i'd say oscar um jude's our nine-year-old oscar's our five-year-old he, he yes. plays on the piano all day yeah he does yeah. Oh, yeah. i taught i taught him all like the cool little snippets from old movies batman jurassic park um <laughs> you know star That's wars great. avengers and he sits there and plays them all by himself so do you he think- reminds me a lot of me growing up because i was an ear guy I was, right I was, yeah i would yeah. just go at it with my ear 
Do you think so, that do you think that there's 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 a potential here for a musical family? Are we gonna see the whole yeah. family? Yes. I, I think so. We don't wanna yeah. I try we try not to force it because we want it to happen <laughs> yes. naturally. Yep. But yeah, our oldest just started actually taking officially piano lessons and she's a really good singer. So we're trying to get her out of her her shell to sing in front of people. Yeah. Um, so she's playing piano, she's and she's loving it. So, you know, I'm hoping, you know, five years from now, we're playing mass and I look over and Nikki's playing guitar, my son's playing bass, my, <laughs> my daughter's singing, my other son's playing drums, you know, so that's... Yeah, that's, that's possible. That's hope. And, and you know what? I mean, you said, Nick, that growing up, you hated playing piano. I mean, same here. It's like I was forced to study piano and I never practiced. And then as soon as I stopped taking lessons, I started playing and I would play every day. And, yeah. and it's like, I'm sure that you're thinking differently with your kids. It's like, yeah, teach them music. Make sure they take music lessons. Yeah. Even exactly. if they hate it. Yeah. I'm like, my mom made me. I'm so glad she did. You know? Yes. Yeah. Like, so like, and then yeah. like our daughter, she, she was a little hesitant at first. I'm like, well, you'll thank us later. And now she, <laughs> and now she's starting to right. really like it. And yeah. who knows, maybe she'll be uh, writing songs with you together. That'll be, that'll yes. be fun yeah. too. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about uh, your, your name. So Nick, you're Nicholas. <laughs> And Nikki, yeah. I'm assu- I don't know. I'm assuming is it Nicole? Nicole. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how did you guys decide? I mean, it's your names, Nick and Nikki Garza. I know that mm-hmm. you used to be called. Actually, I don't know oh. even Holy Song as a yeah. as like a music project. But yeah. um, so what are what are you calling you guys? Are you what are you calling yourselves now? Are we going with Nick, Nick and Nikki? Yeah, just yeah. Nick and Nikki Garza. So so what happened was when we initially started this, we didn't want to make it about us at all we wanted to make it about okay the music and you know just glorifying him and you know we thought of it as like like batman in the comic books you know <laughs> anybody can play anybody can play batman you know but it's the I, idealism of you know batman same idea here we wanted it to be about <laughs> god glorifying yeah. him you know not about us you know and so um and we wanted to have songs that people can play celebrate at mass or mm-hmm. at retreats or praise and worship stuff um and so that's what it started off with. So we, we picked Holy Song and then we're like, you know, six months later, we're like, oh, this is the worst name. Because like <laughs> every, every time you Google it or YouTube yeah. it, you know, it just comes up with holy songs, you yes. know, like songs that are holy. And then Justin Bieber is a big yeah. pop star. He wrote a song, yes. came out with a song and it's called Holy. holy yes. And, you know, and so it's like, man. So they never found us. Yeah. And we talked to friends <laughs> and close people around us. And then somebody's like, just make it your name because nobody else is your name. Yeah, and, you're you right. Know, we're like, you know what? And we're proud of it, too, because we think of it as a vocation with our marriage and our music ministry. It is. Are, are one in the same. It and is. So, and the, uh, yeah. And the fact that it's Nick, they, I mean, it's it's Nick and Nikki and Nikki. It's such a unique spelling. N-I-K-K-I and Garza is not the most common last name. So you're yeah. right. There's probably no other Nikki with two K's. Yeah. I Garza yeah. out there. Yeah. So, 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 so now if you like, you Google us, Nick and Nikki Garza, you can find us. Finally, on, come up. You can yeah. find us on Instagram, YouTube, um, Absolutely. Spotify. All of it. it just comes up really quick now. So, okay. like, okay, this is much better. All right. Well, that's good to know for our listeners. If they want to find out more, just just Google Nick and Nikki Garza. Um, yeah. Guys, it's been really good uh, meeting you and and chatting with you today. I, I look forward to the kids getting a little older. Um, and, and also look forward to, you know, now that we're coming out of the pandemic, I hope that that doesn't mean that you're going to stop writing and stop recording. Yeah. We got Um, lots more stuff coming. So we're excited. And I guess if anybody is in Phoenix at St. Benedict's, is that the parish? Go check them out. Check them out at mass. You're playing at every mass, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, um, check out their music at St. Benedict's in, in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, thank you guys. Uh, take care, enjoy the rest of the week and and God bless. Thank Thank you you so so much. much.
You can find out more about Nick and Nikki Garza at their website, nickandnickygarza.com. And like I said, it's Nikki with two Ks, N-I-K-K-I, Garza, G-A-R-Z-A.com. You can just Google their names. You'll find them um, there on Spotify, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. But I'll also put that link on our site, slmedia.org, so you can find it easily. If you missed any part of the conversation or if you want to listen to it again, just head out to our website, slmedia.org slash podcast. So here now to take us out are Nick and Nikki Garza with their single, I Will Praise Your Name. Listening to Nick and Nikki Garza with their song, I Will Praise Your Name. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Be sure to visit our website at slmedia.org slash podcast. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. I'm sure that most of you have seen images of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. You've probably heard of the first Friday devotions, and most certainly you've heard of the Feast of the Sacred Heart, which is the Friday after the second Sunday after Pentecost. But do you know anything else? Well, some 350 years ago, Jesus revealed himself in a series of visions to a French nun, St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. In the visions, Jesus showed Margaret Mary his burning heart and shared with her how much he loved her, and how much he loved the whole world. And with the help of her confessor, Father Claude de la Colombière, St. Margaret Mary spread the devotion of the Sacred Heart around the world and was instrumental in having the Feast of the Sacred Heart instituted in the church calendar. Emily Jaminet has a deep devotion to the Sacred Heart and is the executive director of the Sacred Heart Enthronement Network. She has just published a book, Secrets of the Sacred Heart, 12 Ways to Claim Jesus' Promises in Your Life. And so, to tell us all about this devotion, I am now joined by Emily Jaminette. Emily, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much for having me on. It's really a privilege to be on this program and to talk about one of my very favorite devotions, the devotion to the Sacred Heart. Yes, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that it's your favorite devotion since you <laughs> seem to have dedicated a lot of your life to this devotion. Now, I just mentioned St. Margaret Mary, and maybe some of our listeners have heard about her, but did the, did the devotion to the Sacred Heart begin even before her? 
Yes, it's kind of a beautiful history. It was revealed slowly over the course of time. For Uh many of us, we can look at the scripture where St. John the Apostle places his heart, his head on Jesus's heart. Yes. And that is the beginning of, you know, really an amazing opportunity to understand the significance of the heartbeat of our Lord and that Mm. invitation to hear the heartbeat of our Lord in our life. And yet as the devotion and as times um, have progressed, we had, you know, St. Gertrude the Great, and she speaks about uh, the Sacred Heart devotion very beautifully. And there's a lineage of saints, but St. Margaret Mary Alacoque in the 1670s really brought this to light through Mm. these apparitions of Jesus appearing to her and really telling all of humanity about his deep love that he has. And St. Margaret Mary Alacoque is also the saint that really brought to light not only these 12 promises. For, for her, there was many more promises, right. but they're summarized in the 12 promises. Yeah. But and also, I wanted, sorry, yeah, go I, ahead. can I just interrupt? Because yes. I, I wanted to ask you about the promises. So, so he actually revealed these promises to St. Margaret Mary. He actually said, yes, if he, people do this devotion, these are the promises. Yes. And that's the first thing is that we have to know that our Lord is a covenant keeper, right? He makes promises all through the scriptures. Hmm. Uh, He builds a covenant within the Old Testament. And so the devotion of the Sacred Heart is not separate from our Catholic faith and from living an authentic faith. It's more of an invitation to, to seek those blessings, right? Graces in your state in life are a fruit of an active prayer life rooted in our faith. So the 12 promises, um, you can read all of her letters that she's written, much like the diary of St. Faustina, mm-hmm. but the Lord continues to reveal many of these. The 12 promises are a direct summary. So it's a lot easier to kind of understand um, the language in which he expresses his his deep love in the areas he wants to us to seek these graces. Right. I, 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 I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask, and I wasn't quite sure how to ask it because I think that there might be a little danger of superstition. Like if I do this, then I'm going to get this reward, but that's not how it works. Right. I mean, these are promises that we, they're not, these, these are graces that we will receive no matter how we engage in, in that spiritual life. Right. Like it's not. Yes, you're absolutely right. And that was one of the things I got involved in the ministry that I'm involved in that promotes the enthronement, sacred heart enthronement network and our first meeting as a board was to say, we are not going to mislead Catholics. We want to point them back to the very heart of our Lord, that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, what that looks like for us as Catholics. Mm-hmm. And it's not superstition, right? We don't, you, you, you fall in love with the, the person that you're called to marry not because of what they're going to yeah. give you. And that's yes. even the language of the analogy. writings. Yes. You know, you, you, you are amazed by what, um, you know, for the right reasons, the essence of who they are. And that's what I am so excited and honored to be able to promote this. I like to say it's a beginning point, not an end point. Mm-hmm. So okay. you don't practice this for the 12 promises. Check. I'm done. I am thrown. Right. We did it first Friday. It is absolutely a blueprint to setting up your life okay. and really setting up the lineage for your family to follow. So okay. I'm very excited um, to share that. And I, and I get the, I get the sense that that's how you formatted the book. I mean, as a, as a kind of a, an entryway or, or, a, or a, an invitation, can you, can you explain how a little bit about how the book is formatted Sure. Um, and, and, so, and why? Yes. And why um, secrets of the sacred heart. The, the most important word in the subtitle is, Uh, 12 ways to claim Jesus's promises in your life. 
is an opportunity for each of us to see that it's just our response to the Lord. He's always offering us his heart. He's mm -hmm. always loving us. It's our response. So um, it's more of a devotional book. It's not intimidating. It's written with opening up, explaining the promise, introducing you to the promise, explaining the biblical, even the, the biblical foundation. These promises, like you said, are not superstition, you know, mm -hmm. such as your state in life. You know, what, what is your state in life? It's really important to know what is my vocation? What are the graces that I need here and now? Um, just that really that point to ponder. So there's a mm -hmm. point to ponder, mm -hmm. to explore the devotion, and then to really, um, what does this mean to me? When you ponder it, there's some questions that you can ask yourself and journal, you know, do it in a book club. I just led a, a parish-wide club, okay. books club, because these questions are important, you know, such as what is my relationship with Jesus Christ? Is right. how, when I see his heart outside of his body, you know, am I intimidated by this? You know, what are the obstacles that are holding me back uh -huh. from, from loving our Lord? So hopefully it's a springboard. It's just an opportunity for you to see that the Lord is offering you a blueprint for stability, spiritual stability in your life. Yeah. And you will be blessed because he makes for a great best friend. <laughs> yes, he does. Um, let me ask you about this in the time that we have left about this enthronement. Um, you, you do mention it in the book, but really the book is not so much about that as, as it is about the promises. But you are the executive director of this organization that, it, that promotes the particular enthronement. And that is part of the devotion. So can you explain how that worked, what it is and how it works? Yes. So the enthronement comes out of around 1907 where there was a priest praying um, in Perrier, where St. Margaret Mary Alico was. And he received this understanding that if images were placed on the wall, fulfilling that desire, what Jesus asked St. Margaret Mary Alico to expose and mm -hmm. honor the heart of Jesus, that you shall be blessed. So he created a, a ceremony. Our ceremony, the ceremony does not take longer than 20 minutes, you know, okay. but it has three key parts. You prepare for Jesus to come as King, Savior, and friend of your family. And then you enthrone him on it. You put him in a predominant place. You don't put him in the back corner of your laundry okay, room. And, yes. But you, you, you proclaim that publicly in your home. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And then you live out that covenant, that covenant of love. You live it out through your daily prayers of aspirations to, you know, visiting the image and, and, and developing an understanding that this image is a reminder of something so much greater. And that's, we put our trust in Jesus. And I can tell you, um, Deacon, that many, many people have experienced what I like to call little miracles and mm -hmm. tremendous gifts of insight, healing, faith, um, restoration of marriage and relationships with children. Right. And it's not just the miracle, but it's also the ability to tackle that mountain that you might have been ignoring in your own family life. So uh -huh. just a really great new beginning for a family. I I can't encourage um, the enthronement right. enough. Yeah. And you do mention some of those stories in, in the book. So enthronement, so people can think of it as a little altar or some sort of little space that 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 is, as you said, a, a prominent place in the home um, that will also, I think, give you a focal point for the devotion so that you are praying in front of this image um, as you do the devotion. Um we're going to have to leave it there, but this is, I hope that this has been very uh, interesting to our listeners, especially as we approach the Feast of the Sacred Heart. Um, there's so many treasures in our tradition, and this is just one way to, to uh, I guess, to really understand that deep love that Christ has for us. 
um, and for the whole world. So thank you, Emily, for, for the work that you do, for telling us about it today and for writing the book. And hopefully, as you said, this will be an invitation for a lot of people to, uh, to enter deeper into that relationship with Christ. Well, thank you for having me on. It's really a privilege. And I hope your listeners can visit me at welcomeisheart.com and learn more about the Sacred Heart, the month of the Sacred Heart. Yes. Go deeper, get my book and um, connect with me at my personal site, emilyjaminette.com. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Emily Jaminette is a mother. She's an author, speaker, radio host, and she's also the executive director of the Sacred Heart Enthronement Network. Her latest book, Secrets of the Sacred Heart, 12 Ways to Claim Jesus's Promises in Your Life is published by Ave Maria Press. And as Emily mentioned, her website is Emily Jaminette and it's J-A-M-I-N-E-T, emilyjaminette.com. I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. And uh, she also mentioned the Sacred Heart Enthronement Network. That's at welcomehisheart.com. That's an easy site to go to, welcomehisheart.com. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Luke Spihar, with another well-known and loved hymn by John Michael Talbot, Only in God, from his new album, Solace.
That was Luke Spihar with his rendition of Only in God by John Michael Talbot from his album Solace. And singing with him on this track is Ali Alia. So it's nice to hear Ali there singing with Luke. Um, even though the album was not recorded and released until after college, Luke Spihar had composed all the music for his first album, Be Still, before he graduated high school. His second album, No Other Way, came a year later in 2011. Then after touring with Ben Harper, Luke Spihar released his third album, All His Gift, an album that was produced by Ben Harper. Around this time, Luke was on our program for the first time. Finally, he returned when he released his 2018 album, The Pilgrim. And now Luke has a new album, his fifth. It's titled Solace that we've been listening to. And it is a collection of hymns and worship cover songs that he says provided him with comfort during this past year. And so... To tell us all about it, I am now joined by Luke Spihar. Luke, it's so good to have you back on the Salt and Light Hour. Always an honor and a great privilege to be with you, Deacon, uh, Deacon Pedro. Thanks it's so much for having me. It's just always a good, a good. Uh, not that I need an excuse to listen to your music, <laughs> but but and I'm I, I, and I'm very much enjoying this album. And I don't know, and I want to talk about that, but I wonder if it's because every we all have different emotional connections to a lot of these songs. Mm. Um, um, so, but let, let me ask you the, I guess the first question, which would be, why did you want to do a new album? I mean, after last year. Yeah. So the, the kind of the beginnings of this album was actually kind of pre COVID. I, I was in a conversation with a buddy who became the main producer for this album, Jake Armerding. Mm. And if you remember back to 2019, like, we were at like a fever pitch pace as a culture. I just, everyone I talked to was just like, man, so busy we're just slammed so much going on and it was you know the economy was at its highest point there's just so many things going on and i just had this instinct and i just said you know we got to slow down we got to yeah we got to return to some of these things that are 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 more true and and again that was coming on the heels of you know just this the whole actually i think even looking further back you know kind of the election of um Clinton, Trump, that whole election. I think after that, I'm like, I got to return to some of these deeper truths that have grounded me over the years. Right. And so I think even I'm now thinking back, it may have even started then. And then, um, and then, you know, about a year from now, uh, March, you know, when, when really everything shut down with yeah. for COVID, I really kind of had that thought, maybe this is when I was made, meant to make an album that just kind of help people enter in and, 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 uh, and kind of recognize or, or um, uh, just experience that kind of those deeper truths, the calmer things. Yeah. That's really interesting because it's, it makes perfect sense that when we're go, 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 and so busy that we need that Sabbath, you know, that solid, that slow yeah. down. Um, and, and, and so I, I'm intrigued by that, the fact that you felt that this, this needed to happen. And then, and I hate to say this because I know it's been a difficult year for a lot of people. They've lost, yeah. you know, loved ones. And, but you know, that God has given us this time to slow down, to, to focus on what's important. Yeah. I, I think that, yeah, certainly one of the fruits of this time and, and it's taken some labor to kind of recognize the fruits, you know, yeah. <laughs> especially, um, uh, you know, when things felt like they were going so well and all of a sudden things falling to kind of a screeching halt, certainly in the music world. 
Yeah. But one of the great fruits is, you know, being able to get way more time with my family mm-hmm. and much needed time with my young ones. That was just yeah. like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm just home. I'm just going to be home. Yeah. That's so, great. Yeah. It's true. That, that was a, a blessing. A lot of people have said that. So how did you pick the songs? There are no, so there's no originals here, right? They're all covers. They're all hymns. How did That's you correct. pick them? Were these songs that you listen to or play all the time to kind of give you solace? Yeah. So one, a great example is that Only in God by John yeah. Michael Talbot is just a song that I often warm up to in spaces, you know, in like maybe an auditorium. Mm. Uh, maybe one of the very first songs I sing will be that one just to kind of claim that space for Christ and just kind of settle me down, you know, that, that chorus, you know, my stronghold, I shall not be afraid at all. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of, especially when, when nerves are rising for a bigger show, just singing that out into the space and kind of claiming it has always kind of centered me in a powerful way. And then, you know, a lot of these other songs, um, uh, songs like Godhead here in hiding is just always been one of those songs that just, kind of bring me uh, into a deeper meditative place to, to reflect on God's gift in the Eucharist. And then um, how can I keep from singing was uh, actually a hymn that was suggested to me. I kind of put out a big feeler like, Hey, what are some songs that are blessing you during this time of lockdown? Mm -hmm. And someone said, have you considered how can I keep from singing? And when I first started playing it, I mean, just the words were so rich and felt so applicable to this time. I was just like, wow, this, it was very moving even just to play it. So there've been where the King of love, my shepherd has, excuse me, the King of love, my shepherd is, has always been kind of a staple centering song to just remember God is the good shepherd. So yeah, just all these different hymns and songs that um, over the years have have really caught my heart. And I just wanted to make sure I've, and there's more where that came from, but these were just kind of, yeah, I can, I can imagine, I can imagine. And, and it's so, I, I can imagine that a lot of these songs maybe have been kind of an inspiration for you in your own music. Um, but I like, I, I like how you've, you've uh, s- s- Luke spiharized them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like you've really sort of given, not that they needed new life, but you've given them new life um, in, in a way. Some of these songs, you know, were written 150 years ago. Uh, yeah. how can I keep from singing it was like you know late or mid 1800s right so yeah. um, all the way back to yeah Augustine or yeah. Aquinas some of them yeah and, yeah way back to yeah that's that's it's that says something about the power of those words um mm-hmm. I, I wanted to ask you about recording it because if you said you know things are locked down and stuff did you record it is it true that you recorded in your garage I recorded it in Jake Armerding's garage, oh, okay. my main producer <laughs> yeah he reached out to me and said hey I got it I've got some microphones and stuff set up in yeah. my garage and maybe you want to swing over and see what we can get. So that went from, uh, yeah, just kind of going over briefly, <laughs> you know, to try to record one song to 11 song album. And we just, we have some funny stories about how that all kind of came about. Cause you're so at the mercy of the weather. It's not, it was like a yeah. relatively small garage with relative, it wasn't insulated. So it was just, yeah. you know, if it was raining, we had to call the session off and we had, uh, you know, we had some incredibly talented, um, you know, vocalists on the, on the show or excuse me, on the, on the album. But one yeah. vocalist that was not invited was the small cricket 
that we could not get out of the garage. Oh, so that's great. We're just trying to find this cricket. And if you've ever been in the hunt for a cricket, it's just impossible. Impossible. And we couldn't, yeah. Yeah. we couldn't find it. So we just had to call the session off because this cricket just okay, kept so, going crazy. So I have to listen. Do I have to listen to the album again and listen for the cricket? Is he there? <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, He's in there. He, yeah, you'll have to listen very closely, but he's in there. Oh, that's good. That's uh, good. Um, yeah, that's a whole other art there. Music for ambient <laughs> and, and record the rain as well. Um, I, I'm very, very happy th- uh, with this album, uh, Luke. It's it's such a comforting. Uh, <laughs> I hate to say provides solace, but it it does. I mean, it's it's really comfort that the word that yep. comes to mind. Um, but I don't want to let you go before asking you about new music. Is there you know have you been composing? Is there anything new uh, that you hope to work on soon? Yeah, I'm really excited that this, in many ways, was kind of a bridge project for me. I mean, it really was an album that was kind of a lifeline through the lockdown of 2020. And it was essential for me to just rest in these truths, you know, that have test, you know, they've stood the test of time 800 years, you know, many, you know, many of these songs were just written so long ago, and I needed to reconnect to that. Um, But through that reconnection, yes, there's been more music that's slowly working its way out of my heart. And, um, I, I do look forward to um, once this album is released, kind of touring with it as much as possible, mm-hmm. and then and then uh, and then looking to the next project. Yeah, well, make sure you let us know because uh, it's always nice to to chat and to listen to your music. Uh, yeah, I'm always excited to see what else comes out of out of Luke's Pihar. Yeah. Um, so thank you for this. Uh, thank you for this music. I think it's going to provide uh, give solace to a lot of people. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's such an honor always to be with you. Luke Spihar. You can learn all about him at his website, lukespihar.com. I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. The album Solace drops next week. There's still time to get tickets. If you're in St. Paul or Minneapolis and Minnesota, uh, you can go to the album release concert March 13 at 2 p.m. or March 14th at 6.30 p.m. So you can find all that information there at Luke's website. If you missed any part of the interview or to listen to the whole program or any part of the show, go to our website, slmedia.org podcast. And here now to take us out is Luke Spihar with another classic, I Heard the Voice of Jesus Say, from his new album, Solace. I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. Lay down, thou weary one, lay down, thy I came to Jesus and
listening to Luke Spihar with I Heard the Voice of Jesus Say from his album Solace. And that brings us to the end of this special edition of the Saltonite Hour. Remember to come see us. Our website is slmedia.org. That's where you can find out all about Saltonite Media and what we do. If you hear anything on this program and you want to comment or just to let us know that you like the show, reach out to me. Email me, pedro at slmedia.org. You can also find me on all social media platforms. Thank you for being with us today. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. <laughs>